<laughs> Quit out, Ghost Island Media. Hey guys, it's Emily Waiwu, producer of this podcast. And this is Nature Nate. We have an exciting announcement. Our Patreon is up. You heard that right. You can now give us money and support the show. We have big things planned, but we need your help to make it happen. You can become a monthly supporter by going on patreon.com slash waste not why not and donating to us. Plus, you get to see Nature Nate from inside the recording studio. You get to see the tent and bail me out. All right, on to today's episode. Pop quiz! What am I describing? I think about it all the time. It exhausts me. It makes me anxious. Sometimes it's even hard to breathe. <sighs> Are you having a panic attack, Nate? Because we need money? Yes, no, no, but no. The thing, this thing, it kills us, literally. It gives us gooey brain and it's making us stupid. I'm talking about air pollution. Air pollution is something that affects all of us. The WHO, not the band, the World Health Organization, estimates that around 7 million people die from air pollution each year. 7 million people. That's the entire population of Hong Kong gone in a year. Hong Kong's a great city. Let's keep it that way. Keep Hong Kong free. Hi, I'm Nature Nate. And I am Emily. And this is Waste Not, Why Not? A podcast on how not to save the environment. I'm an environmental researcher based in Taiwan, working on energy, ocean, and waste issues. On today's episode, we're going to think through air pollution in a different way. What's the newest science saying about the health impact of smog? How is new technology changing this field of study? And how we protect ourselves and our families. Summer is here. It's time for a vacation. Maybe you live in Taiwan or are looking to travel to Taiwan. And you know what they say, planning is half the fun, right? I love looking at logistics and going through 20 pages of Airbnb and sorting through the top 10 lists of the top 10 lists of where to go. Exciting, right? No, you just don't have the time. So look for a One Taiwan, W-A-N Taiwan, for a hand-picked, customized itinerary for you in English. Here's what you do. You tell them what you're looking for. They give you a set of recommendations. You decide on the recommendations because you trust them. And they do the rest, booking and confirming everything. All you need to do is show up for your trip. One Taiwan, W-A-N Taiwan, is offering 10% off for Waste Not, Why Not listeners with the code Waste Not. So that's WANTaiwanTravel.com. Again, WANTaiwanTravel.com and the code Waste Not. So, Nature Nate, air pollution. Firstly, not only is air pollution killing us, did you know it's also hurting our brains? How do you mean? Well, so first, we noticed this in dogs. In the early 2000s, a scientist in Mexico City saw that old dogs from polluted neighborhoods tended to be more hmm, demented. And when the dogs died, the scientists looked at their brains and found a high level of protein deposits, amyloid B, the same plaque that's associated with Alzheimer's disease in humans. Later, researchers at the University of Southern California blasted dirty air on lab mice, and they found that the mice, too, developed a certain brain inflammation that's found in humans with Alzheimer's and memory loss. 
Now, in humans, dirty air from road pollution slowed down the cognitive development of schoolchildren in Barcelona, particularly their working memory. In adults, long-term exposure to smog was linked to their decline of cognitive abilities in a large study in China. As if that's not scary enough, scientists have seen our brains shrink, literally, from long-term exposure to dirty air. For example, in one study, I'm just going to read their conclusion, exposure to elevated levels of PM2.5 was associated with smaller total cerebral brain volume, a marker of age-associated brain atrophy. These findings suggest that air pollution is associated with insidious effects on structural brain aging, even in dementia and stroke-free persons. This is a really terrifying conclusion, Emily. I'm assuming this was after adjusting for factors like education, smoking, diabetes, and cardiovascular diseases. Yes. And last year, researchers from Arizona State University found that, yes, long-term exposure to air pollution causes dementia among the elderly. They compared 15 years of Medicare records for 6.9 million Americans aged 65 and older against the U.S. National Air Quality Monitoring Network. A team at the University of Toronto found similar results that residents who lived within 50 meters of a major road were 12% more likely to develop dementia than those living more than 200 meters away. Now, dementia in the elderly has huge consequences on decision-making, and we may even have potentially generational declines in thinking. And this really explains a lot about current affairs if you think about it. But since this is a relatively new field of study, we've also heard it's still quite controversial. I had heard about the China study you mentioned, but I hadn't known about the extensiveness of its link to dementia. Yeah, and more studies are needed for us to understand this conclusion. Do we know the full mechanism of how air pollutants are traveling up our air passageways to attack the brain? There's a helpful illustration in the Science Mag by the American Association for the Advancement of Sciences that compares direct attack versus indirect effect by triggering inflammation of the brain. And we'll have that URL in the show notes if you'd like to see that image. Let me be very clear, though. This link between dirty air and dementia is not as robust as it is for asthma, lung cancer, or heart disease. But there is a growing body of evidence to suggest that living near a road can increase your likelihood for cognitive decline and dementia. There are obviously lots of correlated factors to tease out here. Living near an area with poor air quality is also going to affect your income and your education and probably your overall health. So maybe there is something that causes cognitive decline, which also decreases your earning potential and makes it so that's the only place you can afford. Hmm. I don't really think that makes sense either, but with science, it takes time. And with these sorts of public health pollution studies, it can be legitimately hard to sift through the normal background noise of genetics and cancer to find a smoking tailpipe or smokestack. Okay, but what do we really mean when we talk about air pollution? How do we know when to take precaution? Unless you live in Helsinki, Colorado Springs, Tasmania, or any other city dubbed to have the cleanest air in the world, you should probably get a good understanding of air pollution what it is, how it's measured, and what the advisories mean. Dear listener, meet Aki, AQI, the Air Quality Index, and your new best friend. Aki is the universal language when it comes to air pollution measurement. It's like the thermostat to temperature. 
I'm just going to go back to calling it AQI. The AQI sensor analyzes the levels of pollutants hanging in the air and then spits out a number that indicates how clean or dirty the air is. The lower the number is, the better the air. And actually, Emily, I'll let you explain this one. You've lived in Beijing. That's a fact. So the AQI is the almost universal language. And I say almost because there are actually several numbering systems. And that can be slightly confusing. There's one that's very widely used by the U.S., China, India, Taiwan, Korea. And there's actually been several times in the recent past when the air in China, India, and also Mongolia broke the chart to pass 500. And in Europe, the number tops at 100. In Canada, UK, and Hong Kong, 1 to 10 is all you get. So you have to check with your smock chat buddy whether or not you're referencing the same system. A 100 for a Swiss could be a 200 for me. So what's more helpful, other than numbers, is the color-coded health advisories that come with the numbers. Green means excellent. There's almost no pollution. That's what we want all the time. Yellow means it's good air. You can cycle to work today. And from here on, though, it gets worse. Orange, red, purple, marooned, or black. Generally, the darker the color is, the worse the air is. Seems pretty intuitive. Yeah. If you're of the sensitive group like infant, a child, an elderly folk, or if you have asthma, it's dangerous to be outside at orange. But at orange, a healthy person like yourself, Nate, you just need to be on high alert. And if it's maroon or black, well, don't go outside at all. Blast your indoor air filters, all of them, in every room. That's also a good time to tweet at your elected officials. Yeah, and consider moving, like I did. So how did you find this data? Yeah, most of the city's data are published publicly somewhere. There are multiple websites and mobile apps that pull from this data, and they try to give you the best, the most helpful advisories. Some of the services can be quite creative. The app will show a picture of a closed window. So it means, well, you should close your windows today. And when you see an icon of a person wearing a face mask, you know what that means. Wear a mask if you go outside. But how do you pick the right face mask? Does my Batman mask work? Yeah, there's so many choices, right? It really comes down to two things, the fit and the filter. The mask should fit around your face by creating a seal. It doesn't have to be airtight, like a goggle, but it should hug the skin completely. That's the point, right? You want to create a barrier. Different brands will use different materials, which means different levels of comfort. And that's a very personal choice, whether you like the feel of plastic or rubber or if you prefer cotton. You also want to make sure there's an actual filter on the mask. The most basic label you should look for is that it's protective against particulates, namely PM2.5. The ones from the major brands all tend to be pretty good. N95s and N99s by 3M, they are disposable. Vogue masks are very fashionable. You wear those when you exercise too, right? Oh, you have to. The Respro is very popular for outdoor activities. It's also very badass. You'll look like Tom Hardy as Bane. And I read that there are actually cities where exercising outdoors is worse for your health than not exercising at all. A 2017 study found that in some parts of India, cycling outdoors just 30 minutes a day is actually worse for you than not cycling at all. The results were slightly better for China, where in certain cities, 60 minutes was the tipping point. 
Right. So before you exercise outdoors or bike to work, you should check the air quality. Whatever the AQI website or app you use, the goal is that you want to be familiar with it. Soon enough, you'll develop an internal AQI sensor. I know I did very quickly into my time in Beijing. On any given day, you could just smell the sulfur and kind of get a sense: is today two hundred, three hundred, or four hundred? It smelled like burning tire. So you could just open your window and say, "Hmm, that sweet smell of sulfur, that heavy haze. Today looks like a code purple type of day. Let's cancel that walk in the park. Time to Netflix and chill." <laughs> yeah, something like that. Be mindful about data accuracy, though, if it's coming from the government, especially if you live in a state not known for transparency. In Beijing, in the first half of this decade, there were two competing AQI databases. There was the one sponsored by the Chinese government. It was generally hopeful. Then there was the data collected by the U.S. embassy in Beijing, and that was grim. But actually, in Taiwan, there's been an effort to create a network of open-source monitoring sensors that anybody can buy and install and see the data for themselves. We talked to a person here who was one of the supporters in the creation of this network. Hi, my name is Jason Wang, and I'm a partner at Cypress River Advisors. We are a Silicon Valley advisory firm that、uh, works with venture capital and private equity. And what I'm going to talk to you about today has nothing to do with my day job. <laughs> Jason does a lot of philanthropic work on air quality issues in the U.S. and in Taiwan, working with different research groups. So my wife and I believe that our energy choices have an impact on our personal health and our environment. So I've been working with researchers at the Academic Zeneca, Harvard, and Berkeley to study how best to set up. Low-cost sensors across、uh, not just Taiwan but across the United States and other parts of East Asia. These sensors are literally the size of your cell phone, and you can stick them up on the wall or tie it to a pole. And they're recording、uh, PM two point five. Some of them are collecting CO two information, but the idea is that if you put up enough sensors in an area, you'll be able to see the flow of air going across the city. It's pretty amazing. According to Jason, there are roughly six thousand sensors making up this network in Taiwan. Most of it was set up by citizen scientists from a group called the Location Aware Sensing System. It's all open sourced, so anyone can build these sensors and put them up outside their homes or in their neighborhoods. So in Taiwan, there are actually enough PM two point five sensors across cities that you can find the safest route to avoid the most air pollution. The sensor network is unique. A regulatory sensor can cost up to a half a million dollars. These are low-cost sensors that are under $150,、uh, in some cases even lower, and we can deploy them at higher densities than even the EPA could.、Um, so, if we're looking at PM 2.5、uh, sensors,、um, we're actually leveraging、uh, sensors that are you could find inside air conditioning units, and we're using some clever math to make sure that it's both accurate and precise. So with something that's so affordable, theoretically, all of us could have our own air monitoring sensor without breaking the bank, and together we can contribute to a more accurate picture of where we live and protect ourselves against air pollution by knowing where it's coming and how much there is. I'll give you an example in the California fires. Right,、uh, 
if there's not an EPA sensor nearby there, you won't know whether or not there's particulate matter coming toward you, right? They'll simply say, oh, there's nothing going wrong. But if you had a bunch of low-cost sensors in your area, you would be able to see the flow of air coming from the fire to your home. You could build a fence line, essentially. Now, if you want to learn more about these projects, you could go to the PM2.5 Open Data Portal. That's for Taiwan specifically. And if you want to learn more about it for the U.S., you can check the Berkeley Atmospheric CO2 Observation Network at UC Berkeley or the Healthy Buildings Program at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health that also does global studies. So what type of pollutants does the AQI actually measure? And which ones should we keep our eyes on? Or rather, stop our breath over. (laughs) Take my breath away. (laughs) We're going to take a break here. And when we come back, we'll talk about what pollutants these sensors actually monitor and how we can possibly start cleaning up the air and maybe delay our dementia. If you're enjoying the show, please share it with your friends. Play it to your family. Tell us what you think. We want to know what you loved and what you want to hear more of. We are Waste Not Why Not on Facebook and at Waste Not Pod on Twitter. Help us reach a thousand listeners. Welcome back. We're talking about air pollution and how we can protect ourselves against breathing in smog that can shorten our lives and damage our brains. The bad boys to look out for are ozone and PM2.5. Ozone. It's the same ozone of the famous ozone layer that shields the Earth from deadly solar rays. But on the ground, it's hyperreactive and can pick you apart. Literally. Breathing in ozone shortens our lifespan. You might also know ozone for its other name, smog. Now, so where does smog come from? Knowing this will help us target pollutants if we want to clean up our air. Basically, it comes from combustion, and we're familiar with that. We see it on a daily basis. Motor vehicles, power plants, burning coal, and even burning wood. California forest fires, I see you. This high heat combustion releases different types of gases and vapors into the air. Two of which, NOx and VOX, nitrogen oxides and volatile organic carbons, When they mix with sunlight, they change color and become this crazy little thing called smog. Hold on. The idea of that is very interesting, that when we sprinkle sunlight onto gases, they become poisonous. Actually, Emily, it's not cool. Remember our statistic from the top of the show? Seven million people die prematurely from air pollution each year. The other pollutant we should know from the AQI is PM2.5, which means particulate matter less than 2.5 millimeters. These are tiny, tiny, tiny particles that enter our airwaves and basically sink deeply into our lungs. Just like ground-level ozone, PM2.5 is deadly. PM2.5 tends to come from coal burning, construction, fires, or dust storms. In the United States alone, close to 40% of people live in areas with an unhealthy level of ozone or PM2.5. Most of this is in California, my home state. Last year, Bakersfield, just north of Los Angeles, scored the worst in both long-term and short-term particulate pollution in the entire country. This was probably due to a combination of trucks, farming, and the desert. The Central Valley, which Bakersfield is located in, traps a lot of pollution from agriculture and from the massive freeways that pass through it. It's also super sunny, so there you have all the ingredients for that crazy little thing called smog. 
If you'd like to learn more about the pollutants that the AQI looks at, be on the watch for carbon monoxide, PM10, and also sulfur dioxide. So when we talk about cleaning up the air, we can mostly target ozone and PM2.5. But how do we actually clean it up? Scientists can work it out that if we want our AQI to be one, we would have to restrict factories and cars. But the right policies need to follow. Over in Europe, the wake-up call for the UK was the Great Smog of 1952, where more than 10,000 people died in London in just five days. In the Americas, the U.S. Clean Air Act of 1963 paved the way for one of the world's most comprehensive air quality laws at the time. My dad, the automotive editor, who you might remember from a previous episode, well, in the 70s, he used to come home from work with a soot ring on his white collar shirt. Ask your grandparents or older parents, and they will tell you the same thing. Go ahead, we'll wait. If we want to boil all that down. The main solutions are that we need electric vehicles, cleaner energy sources, and we need to get rid of coal. One of the best ways to do that is to set limits on how much pollution a power plant or factory can release, and then increase those restrictions over time. This is called command and control. These types of policies are making coal more expensive. Pretty soon, coal will no longer be viable, as it would be prohibitively expensive to clean up. This is what clean air acts around the world can accomplish. Is that what got rid of acid rain in the U.S.? Yeah, you probably don't hear much about that anymore, and that's because the U.S. government has mandated low sulfur fuels. They've established scrubbers in smokestacks, and they forced factories and power plants to reduce their emissions of acid rain-causing chemicals. By setting pollution requirements, it forces companies to adapt and improve their competitiveness. But、uh, obviously, industry pushed back because it seems expensive making all these changes, right? Well, according to the Lancet, one of the oldest and most reputable peer-reviewed medical journals, air cleanup can actually net significant economic returns. They found that in the U.S., every dollar invested in air pollution control since 1970 has returned an average of $30 back. That's an aggregated 1.5 trillion back from an investment of 65 billion. That's like the revenue of three WalMarts or five and a half Apples, not stores or fruits, but the actual entire companies. That's a lot of money. But what does that mean for today? We have these alarming air pollution problems in places like China and India. Right now, you have probably read that India has some of the most polluted cities in the world for air pollution, and well, that is true. But it doesn't have to be that way. Any country can adopt these policies. This isn't some kind of unique U.S. invention. When you price and ban air pollution, you create economic incentives to adapt, improving overall public health. And if you aren't sick, you can work more, and that's going to benefit our economy. That's the neoliberal argument for clean air. Doesn't matter where you are. Maybe it's in India on a bad day. Maybe you're in California dealing with traffic emissions. Everyone everywhere should take preventative measures. And you should have indoor air filters at home in your office. Nowhere is safe. Tell me about that. Yeah, you mean how to pick the right air filter? So, like face masks, air filters come in all shapes and all sizes. 
And the important thing to understand is the amount of space you need to cover. Some filters are meant for small spaces, some filters meant for large spaces. You should probably have one dedicated to the bedroom, and another one probably for the living room. You want to make sure it's a HEPA filter. HEPA stands for High Efficiency Particulate Air. It's usually composed of fibers and fiberglass that trap tiny pollutants and particles. In addition, some also use charcoal to filter gases. And if you have a pet, you can look for a machine with a pre-filter that targets larger particles like dust and hair. And that's one way to extend the life of your HEPA filter. Otherwise, the filters can run pretty pricey. All the other features: Wi-Fi, sensors, silent mode. If it's on wheels, if it connects to Alexa or Google Home, that's all extra, and it's all based on your personal preference, budget, and your design taste. At the end of the day, all you really need is a HEPA filter and a way to circulate the air. So even if you live in a clean city with low pollution, you still want an air filter in your house against indoor pollutants from everyday things like cooking, hairspray, cologne, mold. Wrapping up, the biggest takeaway here is that air pollution is one of the largest killers of people on the planet, and not only that, it's affecting the way that they even think. The good news is that we're coming up with better technology to measure the impact, and we have more and more options for renewable energy, electric vehicles, and we now definitely know that certain policies work to stop air pollution. While we wait for those large-scale structural changes, there's a lot you can do. You can wear a mask when you're outside. You can have an air filter at home. You can defend yourself and your office. Overall, though, we have to pay attention to air pollution and talk about it. It's just one environmental issue, but in many ways, it's more acute and more serious than something like carbon. So, share this episode with your friends, talk to your family, and get informed. Learn about the air quality where you live. I'm Nature Nate, and this is Emily, and this has been the Waste Not Why Not podcast, recorded on a Yeti microphone provided by Blue in a do-it-yourself tent in the Future Award co-working space in Taipei, Taiwan. You can see me inside this tent on Patreon. Do you have questions for us? Email your voice recording to ask at wastenotwhynot.com. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever. Give us a good rating. We are Waste Not Why Not on Patreon and Facebook, and Waste Not Pod on Twitter and Instagram. This has been a Ghost Island Media production. This episode was produced and written by Emily Y. Wu and me, Nature Nate. Edited by Emily Y. Wu. Original theme song by Chris Lowe. Thanks for listening. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>